0: This episode of Wrestling Changed My Life is brought to you by Spartan Combat. They're hosting a national tournament May 21st through the 23rd in Jacksonville, Florida. Register now at SpartanCombat.com.
1: That was kind of a changing of the guard where, where Iowa at that point, like Zaleski finishing. You no, know, I think one, what he, there was one year during his tenure at Iowa. He three NCAA titles and one year during his tenure where they did not win an NCAA team trophy. And yet they pulled the plug and they moved on. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity. 100% how to pick myself up and be a man after I fail and everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestle because if you wrestle,
0: natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of
1: the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me. taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn. You learn how to adapt. You learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
0: Welcome to the show, folks. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life, presented by Spartan Combat. This is Ryan Warner, your host. It's a fantastic week. NCA brackets are out. The Olympic trials are just a few weeks away, and we have a new episode. It's with Andy Hamilton, king of content at track wrestling, multiple-time National Wrestling Writer of the Year. This guy has been covering wrestling for a long time, first in Iowa City, then in Des Moines. He has a ton of knowledge, and we go down history road here. Looking back at, at some of the legendary Iowa Hawkeye moments. Hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to the Rancos Valley Red Devils out of Mount Holly, New Jersey. And I'm now reading that Rancos is pronounced Rancocas. So the Rancocas Valley Red Devils. Good luck this week, and gentlemen, we appreciate the support. And that's it. Let's get to the interview with the great Andy Hamilton. Peace! Andy Hamilton welcome to the show. How's it going Ryan? Outstanding thank you for doing this legend in the media world it's great to
1: have you. Great to be here love the show love what you've done with it. Thank you.
0: I know we've spoken off air a couple times and before we get into your background man have you ever seen a crazier time in wrestling than this with all these pay-per-view cards and the wrestling season in doubt I mean what are you hearing is the college season happening?
1: You know, Kyle Klingman and I talked about this uh, a little bit while back on our On the Map podcast. And it's it's the question that everybody loves to ask right now, but nobody really has the answer. I mean, because stuff changes so fast. I mean, look at, uh, I remember back in March, Travis Johnson, who freelances for us, asked me, I think on the first Friday in March, are we going to have an NCAA tournament? And I'm like, yeah, of course we are. And it was like 48 hours later where I'm like, I don't think we will all of a sudden. And then, you know, we were going to have it with fans. And then I think it was probably like 18 hours later, the thing was off altogether. So stuff's changing so rapidly. Stuff is uh, completely out of the control of the people who are typically the decision makers in our sport. And so, I mean, uh, I-, I would like to think we are, but I don't assume anything at this point.
0: I mean, it's like normally we'd be in the dual meet season and I feel like we haven't even heard any updates as to why we're not wrestling because college basketball is going on. So why isn't college wrestling going on?
1: Yeah. I, I wonder the same thing too. I, I, I can't imagine that basketball is safer than wrestling, right? I mean, you got 10 people out on the court subs in and out. So probably 20 people out there sharing, sharing the same ball, touching the right. same ball breathing even same air. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. So uh especially from a dual standpoint i mean it's i would think wrestling's easier to uh, manage than, than a lot of sports right now that are going on
0: yeah it's like i didn't even think twice about it then i was talking to my brother the other night and he's like you know college basketball is going on and i'm thinking wait how did that happen and i mean that just shows you how much i don't follow it but you would just think that ncaa winter sports it'd, it'd be all or nothing not one sport versus the other
1: yeah of course uh follow the, the money right i mean it's yeah. so- let's drive more revenue than others. And, and uh, of course that's, you know, you look at college football, right? I mean, we were, we were going to have, what was it? Big 10 released a schedule, I think somewhere on or around August 5th and about three or four days later, big 10 football's off and we're not playing big 10 football. We're not playing pac 12 football. The Mac is not playing football. And now here we are in December and everybody's playing college football.
0: Right. It's uh crazy times. I mean, and for someone like you, I know you had been to every national since 2000 in um, the Big Tens. Were you at the Big Tens at Rutgers this year?
1: I was not. It's the first one I've missed since 2000. I was at uh, NAIAs and then Big 12s that weekend.
0: Got it. So that was my second Big Tens, first in about 10 years. So my brother went, My brother and I went out there with some friends that place was amazing. So if there's anything to salvage is that the big tens at Rutgers was awesome. But then, you know, we get back a couple of days later, everything shut down. And so this is kind of the state of the world we've all been in. And, you know, you were involved with the Hawkeye wrestling club showdown, which we'll come back to that, but let's start at the beginning for you. I mean, every national since 2000, how did, how did your interest in wrestling start in your career in journalism kind of flourish from there?
1: So, my interest in wrestling and then my career in journalism and wrestling are kind of two separate conversations, but two separate stories, but my interest in wrestling, my dad wrestled at Northern Iowa for a year back when it was Iowa state teachers college. I think he was a freshman on the team when they were national champions, I think 1950 and had some legends of the sport on the, on the roster at that point. And, and, uh, So he he wrestled and he was a wrestling official and always around it. Uh, We when I was four years old, my parents took me out the NCAA championships out in Corvallis, Oregon. In 1980, we went to how we. I grew up a half hour north of Ames, so we had season tickets for Iowa State. We had season tickets for Iowa. Went to some UNI stuff as well. Always around it and. You know, just became a huge fan of wrestling at that point. Uh, I I like to joke. I say this, you know, it's an exaggeration that I grew up and went to the only high school in Iowa that didn't have wrestling. I mean, there are there are several others, but so I was I was detached from it there for a little while. But um, as far as covering it goes, uh, when I I graduated from Iowa in December of 1998 and had a lease for the second semester and had some internship opportunities, but none that, that uh, were as appealing to me as, as staying and hanging out with my buddies for six more months. And, and I got an opportunity to, to work part-time at the Iowa city press citizen. They needed somebody to cover high school wrestling at that point. And uh, they had the number one team in three, a, in Iowa big school team in Iowa. And was this I, West or city high city high at the time. Okay. And, and West was pretty good as well. They were on the rise as well at that point. But uh, just by dumb luck that I fell into it, they needed somebody to cover wrestling and fell in love with it from the get go. It was, you know, I'd, I'd gone out to high school basketball games and and covered those and, and you, you go to a bad high school basketball game and you're stuck there for an hour and a half and, and <laughs> it's a thing to get over. Oh. It's a mismatch. You're, you're, you're watching the clock tick and, you go to a wrestling meet that's a mismatch or a match that's a mismatch and and we're on to the next thing in a minute. And you go to a good high school basketball game and it comes down to the wire, like you're, you're hoping that it comes down to the wire and that there's something entertaining to write about and <laughs> something dramatic's going to happen. Whereas, you know, you go out to cover a high school wrestling tournament. And this, is, this is what I told my dad the very first weekend that I got sent up to Cedar Rapids to cover the Mississippi Valley Conference Tournament, which at the time... Uh, and, and for the better part of the last 20 years has been the premier high school wrestling conference in Iowa, but at the time was bar none, the number one high school wrestling conference in Iowa. And, and my dad asked me on the way home, I, you know, I called him on the way home, we we're talking about it. And he asked me, and so what do you, what do you think of it? And I said, dad, this is incredible. Like, there were like 20 incredible things that happened today, like finishes, you know, down to the wire matches, like breathtaking uh, drama. And, you know, you hope that that happens once a week when you're covering high school basketball. So, so it was just a breath of fresh air and uh, found the characters in the sport to be incredibly candid and uh, accessible. I know, you know, when I was, I was just kind of getting into covering college football around that time. And it was, it was a struggle to get the kind of access that I wanted to get and with wrestling, it was everybody so inviting yeah. and it was that way from the beginning. And, and, you know, people were open, you know, open, not only to just allowing you to come cover their team, but welcoming you hoping that you would, I remember my first day, um, you know, and it, so I covered that first year with, with Iowa city high. Then I went to Am- Ames Tribune for a full-time job for about six months. Uh, my dad was battling some health issues. I was able to live at home and help out around the farm and yep. And, uh, you know, wound up uh, being able to come back to Iowa City on a full-time basis. And the first day that I went into the college room, uh, they told me I was going to be covering the Hawkeyes. First day I went in to, to cover Iowa wrestling, uh, they were in the middle of their warm-ups and, and Jim Zaleski said, hey, let me get you Jurgens and Schwab. And he pulls them out of their warm-ups and they come over and they, you know, visited with me for five, 10 minutes each. And I'm like... This is unbelievable. This is the number wow. one team in the country. They've won five NCAA titles in a row at this point, And nobody's been more accommodating to helping me cover the sport, which I thought, uh, man, I thought this is going to be a dream if this, this is the way it is. So, and that that's the way it was, uh, you know, for my time and I was covering the Hawkeyes,
0: man, that was such a interesting time to be a Hawk fan because, you know, they won every nationals in the nineties, except 94. And I think, except 94. And it was, you know, Gable had retired in 97 and then Zaleski comes in. Um man, what what are some of your more memorable moments of those early years when Zaleski was taken over?
1: Uh, boy, that's been such a long time ago. I can hardly remember what I did last week. Little <laughs> little, but I do remember a phenomenal bunch of guys Yeah, guys that are friends to this day, uh, just developed uh, relationships with, you know, Jody Stripmatter, one of my best friends, Eric Juergens, great friend. Doug Schwab and I, we go round and round about the Yankees and the Red Sox and, and stuff like that. But uh, Jessman Smith, um, keep going on down the line, T.J. Williams, Mike Zadick, one of the – Oh, my God, most, those are great names. Mike Zaddock, one of the most loyal friends that uh, you could ever have. Um, just, just a phenomenal bunch of guys, and that – those guys, like I said, everybody was just so welcoming at that time. And, and, you know, I felt like I knew the 36, 37, 38, 39, 40th best guys on the roster better than, um, anybody that I ever got to know on the Iowa football program when I was covering Iowa football. And so that's what, um, that's what really sucked me in is just, you know, the people. And then, then of course you're writing about the number one team in the country and they're such, rabid interest in that program and yeah and uh you know I I was fortunate enough that I I worked at a paper that valued college wrestling Bryce Miller was my first boss in Iowa City he's also my boss when I went to Des Moines but uh, uh a guy who had covered the beat before me and so he valued it he understood it made it so much easier to cover uh having that guy uh as my boss and and you know some some of the others that followed after him also valued wrestling and, and uh, just couldn't have been a better experience. So is that the only sport you covered? No, I was, covering, uh, I was covering Iowa wrestling. I was covering prep sports throughout the year as well. So I was covering high school wrestling and high school football, track, baseball, softball. Um, occasionally getting pulled in to covering some high school basketball and, and volleyball as well uh, covered college football recruiting, helped out with the Hawkeyes doing a lot in Iowa city. And then when I went to Des Moines, it was, it was also, it was wrestling. It was prep football. It was Drake relays, uh, auto racing, which was, uh, quite a departure, but also something that I, I, grew to, to really appreciate as well. So managed to meet a lot of interesting people through the years, a lot of, um, funny stories and, Um, just, just really blessed that that I've been able to do a lot of different things, not just in wrestling, but, uh, you know, know, I, I, I tell people, I don't feel like I've ever worked a day in my life because I back when I was in college, I had, I had jobs, uh, working in factories, building grain bins, pouring cement, stuff like that. That's real work. What I I do now is, uh, you know, I'm pretty blessed to be able to do it.
0: And what are some of your, when you think back to some of the the big Iowa high school state tournaments, you know, I've only been a couple times to the Iowa high school tournament. It was like 2010, 2011, um, but I actually just had Kevin Gadsden on earlier this week. And he was talking about when he wrestled St. John in the finals. And I'm just thinking back to, I'm sure there were some massive uh, high school matchups back during that time. Um, and we were talking, I think it was me and you were talking about Mitch Mueller and those get that whole gang. I mean, what were some of the big high school battles you remember going down at the Iowa tournament?
1: Oh man. I, I remember Kyle Anson and Jay Borschel were both returning champs as sophomores. And you knew one of them was going to be a four-timer and one of them was going to be a three-timer because they met up in the quarters. And, and, uh, that was phenomenal. Those guys had won everything under the sun growing up. And, and that whole uh, 2005 class, you know, when those guys collided, it was great stuff. And how dominant was TJ Seabolt back in the day? Yeah, he's pretty good. I didn't uh, have an up close view of his career because I wasn't covering the entire state at that point. But I, I do remember when he was in eighth grade, like he was hanging around all those guys at that point, and and just a mat rat. And you know, everybody telling me when he was in junior high, this guy's going to be a stud, and, yeah. and it was apparent, like he he'd get out on the mat. You know, he wasn't in high school yet, but, but at tournaments you'd see him and he'd be out like rolling around on the mats and it's like, all right, this guy's, this guy's going to be pretty legit.
0: And where were you when Brains was named head coach? Were you in Iowa city still? Or were you out at Des Moines?
1: I was in Iowa city. Yep. I mean, that had to be a pretty big day.
0: Did everyone kind of know it was coming?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that was, I, I think even people knew it was common before it, you know, before Jimmy was even fired, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, if, if you were on the inside or on the periphery, like I think you knew something was happening. I remember actually being in Carver Hawkeye arena in the Iowa wrestling offices, like five minutes after Zaleski was fired. And I knew something had happened uh, at that point and then found out shortly thereafter. And this is, days before Twitter and things like that. And, and uh, so, I mean, it, it, if you were, you were close to it, you knew you could see the pieces of the puzzle being put together. And, and, you know, Tom had just done such a phenomenal job in recruiting Tom and, and Wes hand Doug Schwab down at Virginia tech. And and they got Borschel and ants or Borschel and Leclaire and Slayton to go down there, you know, guys from Iowa that grew up Hawkeye fans that wanted to be Hawkeyes and went halfway across the country to a program that was unproven at that point. and And then of course, like the, the big bombshell was when he got Metcalf to go down there as well. And, and so you could, you could see all this momentum building in Blacksburg. And meanwhile, that, that last season uh, prior to Tom, remember there was a dual meet in, in Carver against Illinois. And I walked down the steps to my seat on press row. And it's the first time ever I'd walk down to my seat on press row thinking Iowa had no chance to win the dual meet that, that night. And it was against Illinois. It was about 2,200 people in the stands. And, and one of them was Bob Bolsby, the athletic director. It's the only time I remember Ooh. being at a home dual that year. And I kept looking over throughout the dual and, you know, it was apparent something was going to happen. And funny story is, I found out about it years later that, uh, Tom was actually in town that night. Was actually back on a recruiting trip, and was in Iowa City. He couldn't go because of NCAA scouting rules. If he had, had uh, I think, if he had gone and while he was on a recruiting trip and gone to a, an opposing dual meet, it would have co- constituted as a scouting violation and and uh, something along those lines. But uh, just, just a, you know, I remember back. Thinking about trying to tell the story of that era and, and uh, that was one of the defining moments of it that kind of that night I mean just a lot of pieces in place um, that night that were, were pretty fascinating
0: well especially considering that you know Mark Johnson was leading Illinois he had been a Gable guy and you know when he took over Illinois in the mid-90s they were a nothing program and so just to build them up to compete at the level of Iowa was incredible, but at the same time, Iowa was in such a slide that it was, I mean, they were dropping three, four dual meets a year at the time, which now is unthinkable and was unthinkable well before that. I mean, I for—I kind of forgot that. I remember Metcalf going to Virginia Tech, but I forgot about Slayton and all those other guys. I mean, that must've been huge for Iowans because those dudes were Iowa fans.
1: Yeah, that was it gave me no shortage of storylines to tell in the spring of 2006. (laughs) I'm coming back. What's his staff going to look like instantly? Are these Virginia tech guys coming back to Iowa? That's going to, that's a story. And then all the hangups with that, the court battle, you know, are they going to get released? They're not going to get released They're, You know, who promised what at Virginia tech, It, it was an endless supply of stories to tell that off season. And then, uh, you know, of course that was also the off season that, uh, you know, Mike Zadic made the world team went on to, to win world silver. Bill Zadic won uh, world gold, world title. And, uh, so Bill wasn't training around Iowa city at the time, but Mike was. And so suddenly like for the first time in a long time, probably the first time on my, you know, since I was on the beat, it felt like Iowa had some real momentum going as a program. I mean, when, when I started in 2000, 2000 it was maintaining. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were at the top and they were maintaining and had kind of a, a little bit of a disastrous tournament down in St. Louis in 2000. They had uh, uh, Strip Matters, a one seed, got knocked off in the quarters. Uh, Jurgens ended up winning it and salvaging an NCAA title for him because he beat Cody Sanderson in the finals. But Schwab was a one seed, got knocked off in the quarters. Zadek got beat in the quarters. TJ Williams lost for the first first and only time in his Iowa career in the semis. And you know, I I remember leaving the arena that Friday night, thinking this is Iowa State's title to win, and and Iowa came back and won it. But but uh, wow, they had momentum in 2006 like they hadn't in a long long time, and and uh, there was such an excitement building around the program at that time. And the other thing that happened is you know at the end of the zaleski era you know 2003 they had a brutal tournament for iowa standpoint from an iowa standpoint finished eighth at the ncaa championships and then you know it it really kind of became a divided fan base in 03 04 05 06 you had um, people that were jimmy supporters you had people that wanted to see a change and wanted to see tom in charge and, and it was a fraction fan base and and I remember one of the really brilliant moves that Tom Brands made in his opening press conference he was talking about uniting the fan base. Mm-hmm. He reached out to some of the people that were, were big Zaleski backers who were hurt by the, the coaching change. And he brought them into the fold and kept them in the fold and made them feel good about Iowa wrestling under Tom Brands. And, and it felt like Iowa wrestling was together again at that point.
0: How crazy was it? He brought Gabe out of retirement to coach that first yeah. year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, don't, I don't think you can really think of another parallel like that. No, in sports, I mean, it's pretty
0: amazing. He came yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. When did Brands? Go, so how long? How long into that 2000s was Brands not with Selesky? Was he there in that 0304? What you
1: were just talking about? 04 was his last year.
0: Okay. At, and
1: 0506 he was at Virginia
0: Tech. So really not that long. And he made a a big impact there. I mean, yeah, I mean, geez, that's crazy. Was that the same year that Sanderson went to Penn state?
1: Uh, no, no, but, but the day that, uh, the day that Zaleski was fired was the day that Cale Sanderson became the head coach at Iowa state. Oh,
0: okay. So it's quite a bit before that. I'm getting those timelines mixed up. Okay. The, the
1: amount of the the dominoes that fell during that time, Tom Ryan too, right? Tom Ryan ended up at Ohio State. I think there was some some fear from the Iowa end that that Ohio State was going to call Tom Brandt. They was going to hire Tom Brandt. And that forced Iowa to move. And when Iowa State heard that Tom or that Zaleski was out at Iowa, they were not going to let a repeat of the game. <laughs> so they moved and they put Kale in charge in Ames. And then Ohio State ended up with Tom Ryan. And then, of course, uh, what was it, uh, 2009 that Kale wound up at Penn State?
0: I mean, those are three of the biggest moves. I mean, four, if you consider Cale's move to Penn State, but I mean, those that's a crazy time for the college landscape. And really, it hasn't shifted a lot since, since that last move uh, with Kale going to Penn State, you know, in terms of the dominant powers
1: we had never, the thing that was interesting about that is we had never seen moves of that magnitude in college wrestling. It was, it used to be, you know, not just wrestling, but kind of Olympic sports. You just, you know, you do your job, you don't embarrass the school, your kids graduate, you keep them out of trouble and you can coach as long as you want. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a changing of the guard where, where Iowa at that point, like Zaleski finishing, you know, I think one, what he, there was one year during his tenure at Iowa, he had three NCAA titles, and one year during his tenure where they did not win an NCAA team trophy, and yet they pulled the plug and they moved on. What's <laughs> That's really interesting cool. about it, too, the, the other element to it was Bob Bolsby, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make that move. He was, like, probably at that point, one foot out the door on his way to Stanford to become the athletic director there. And to fire a successful wrestling coach a guy with three ncaa titles an all-time great at iowa mm-hmm.
0: and,
1: and move on i think that took a lot of courage to do that it took a lot of guts to do that it was one of the gutsiest moves that, that i can remember an athletic director making under those circumstances and and hey jimmy anybody that's been around jimmy zaleski they you know he's one of the most beloved people that i've i've ever covered
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh can't say enough good things about him but um the program at that point, it, it kind of it kind of reached the point where, look, attendance is, is suffering. They're, they're, I, if memory serves me correct, their ranking in the classroom wasn't real good mm. amongst you know, the 24 Iowa athletic programs at that time. There just wasn't much momentum at, in any segment of the, the program at that point. Uh, recruiting was suffering a little bit. You see Tom lining up these these blue chip chippers down in Blacksburg where there's no tra- tradition the facilities are are um subpar compared to what they have at Iowa and and I think a lot a lot of people were like it's it's time to time to make a change and see what what will happen here
0: so Bowlesby I didn't realize he was on
1: the way out when he did that yeah holy I think, smokes I think it was uh like boy this is 14 years ago but I yeah march 29th or 30th thereabouts that that he that they fired zaleski announced that he would not be coming back and exactly a week later brands was hired and so like april 6th ish uh and then i think it, like two three weeks later Bolsby was hired at stanford now he's at the big 12 now He's the commissioner of the big 12. Now, so I but. wish he was still
0: at Stanford, man. That's a sad story out there.
1: Uh, yeah. Yes. And no. Right. I, I think, you know, Kyle Klingman and I discussed this too. We, we actually asked this to Jason Borelli on one of our, our, on the map podcast. If Bob mm-hmm. athletic director, would Stanford still have wrestling? And man, I have a hard time thinking a guy that, that grew up in Waterloo, Iowa, that has the background that he does would pull the plug on a wrestling program like that. But you know, that being said, he's a tremendous ally for wrestling being at the big 12 and in the position he is, I, I think, uh, uh, he's, he's certainly a guy that wrestling can lean on a lot.
0: So why do you, th- why do you think, uh, that he wouldn't have let it go there? It's that money, like even he, as much as he likes wrestling, he's not big enough to stop it or there's just things outside of anyone's control there. Uh, Bullsby? Yeah, like why? Why do you th- so if Bowlesby was at Stanford, how come? Why do you think that maybe he still wouldn't have been able to keep the keep wrestling at Stanford? Well, I think he would have. Oh, you do? Okay. He gotcha. he
1: Stanford, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's a. Uh, I mean, I'm actually gonna have Burley on uh, coming up here, and I'm way overdue, but I just keep seeing that Stanford's raising all this money, and I'm thinking, okay, it's it's good news. But then I was talking to someone yesterday, and they go, "No, it's not coming back permanently. It's done." So, wh- why why would that be? Why would a program that can raise that kind of money and fund itself not be allowed back? I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's... I, don't know. I, want, I asked myself the same thing the, the day that they announced it and, and in the press release, it said something along the lines of if, if money is raised to bring these, you know, we're not going to accept money to bring these programs back. I don't get it. I don't understand that. It's like, what harm could it do if they're
0: funding themselves? And I mean, gosh, I, I can't think it's a negative in any way. It's just so sad. I mean, especially when you don't get many schools that are great academically, but also great athletically. Right. I mean, in Stanford, it's always been pretty solid that way. So it's a big blow. Um, California in general is so big and has so many wrestlers in the junior college system, but it's like, man, it's, it's not looking good out there right now.
1: Yeah. It's tough. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, like when we lost Boise, I mean, you look, what is there? Like, I think you got to drive. You had to drive about six hours from Corvallis, Oregon to the nearest division one program something along those lines, maybe more than that.
0: Is that Oregon state? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. And uh, now without Stanford and, and uh, I shudder to think about where we'd be if we weren't able to bring Arizona state back.
0: Oh my God. That's a staple out there.
1: Yeah. So I forgot about that. They were done for a year or supposedly uh, they were done for two or three weeks. Is that and, it? Yeah. Yeah. Art Mark Torrey stepped up and, uh, it's a good guy to have in your corner, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they were able to bring it back. But um, just, it, it's such a shame to me. It's one of the, you know, I think about if I won the Powerball, what would I do with it? I, I would probably spend a lot of money to make sure we've got a college program, a Division one program at UCLA, USC, San Diego State. I mean, we got highest participation numbers in the country in California, and what options do they have now? <sighs> I Got a couple, three options out there. And before, you know, I mean, look, uh, it's going to take a pretty elite wrestler and a pretty elite student to get into Stanford. So yep. the pool is pretty thin there. But uh, I, I just think of how many kids, especially losing Fresno now. I mean, that one that one rocked me too because I, I, you know, if you look at college wrestling programs like they're the stock market, Fresno State would have been a buy to mm-hmm. me. You've got so much talent in and around that area. Uh, you've got.
0: And a tradition uh, a little bit too,
1: you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're not going to find a better human being to run your program than Troy Steiner. Right. And momentum going, they were, you know, the people were showing up. <sighs> Top 10 in attendance three years in a row. And, you know, they they were starting to make it happen on the map too. And that, that one to me was, uh, you know, I, I I have a hard time with that one. I have a hard time with all of them, but, but especially that one, it's like, why, why bring it back? If that's all the more committed you are. I
0: don't especially, get I mean, to your point. Yeah. I don't know how well Fresno state does in other sports, but I got to think that the wrestling team has got to be one of their better programs. You know, I mean, that, that hurts. And that, that Valley area of California is a big wrestling area. I mean, I, I was thinking about this the other day. There's not one division one school in Washington either. I mean that that's been a while, but I mean think about Washington and then Oregon. It's just yeah, I don't want this to be a depressing podcast, but this has been on my mind uh a lot recently. And a guy here in Chicago, Bill McKenna, who I talk with, he's you know, he, he's trying to get me to do a little road trip in California and just go see everyone while there's still programs and we might have to do something because it's it really uh you know, I don't think the I don't think we're uh, at the end of this either in terms of sports being cut because of the COVID funding issues
1: really interesting you know i i if i were a betting man i would have bet that we would have lost more than than three already yeah i don't yeah i'm with you i don't think the end is is here yet i think we're out of the woods by long stretch i, I i'm going to be really honest to see what happens what are the three uh old dominion stanford and fresno state when you know if we, unless we can bring bring them back yeah it, uh uh it's a tough one you know, especially, you know, I remember this time a year ago, I, I think it was last December. I wrote a piece that, you know, it quotes from Pike Moyer and, and the gist of the piece was college wrestling's in better shape than it's been in almost 40 years. We're adding programs. You know, we're, we, are we are seeing significant growth at the D2, D3 NAIA women's levels mm-hmm. and you know, I think, I think there's a statistic, you know, that Mike said at, at this point a year ago that there are more programs that have been started. Like more than half of the programs that exist in college wrestling now have been started since 2000. Mm, and look wow. at NAI NAI wrestling about uh, 20 years ago, bottomed out with like 19 programs. They're up over 70 now. That's So, great. so a lot of momentum, you know, Fans showing up in record numbers all across the country for dual meets, sports more accessible than ever before. And and then this happens and yeah. just brought it to a screeching halt. And hopefully uh, we can weather the storm as a sport and, and come through on the other side and be in better shape somehow, some way.
0: Yeah. And I love the creativity with some of the RTC events. I know you were intimately involved in the Hawkeye showdown. And what was cool about that was that you guys were, were doing equal pay for men and women and maybe all of them do that. I have, I have no idea, but um, I mean, what was your impression of that event? Is there more events like that in the
1: future for track? Yeah, I would, I would hope so. Um, you know, I had the misfortune of uh, you know, being locked down on COVID. Uh, my, my girlfriend came down with it uh, at that point. And so I, w- I was shut down uh, first time. And what was it like, eight months that I was going to get out of the house and go cover some wrestling. And, and Oh no, I didn't know you weren't there. Yeah. It was, it was really unfortunate timing, but, uh, so I didn't get the full flavor of it, but, but, uh, the people that were were in venue had nothing but great things to say about it. Uh, a lot of feedback from people that, that purchased pay-per-view and, and we thrilled with it as well. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we got a, a lot of bright minds on our team, a lot of great people on our team and, We'll certainly be open to opportunities like that in the future. And uh, just uh, really appreciate that we are able to to do that with the Hawkeye wrestling club. They, they went all out with it. Um, first rate operation on their part and uh, certainly expect nothing less from, from them. And man, I just, uh, it's an awesome event all the way around. Yeah.
0: I mean, you th- you talk about that, you, the Iowa program. Now you just think, First class, all around. I mean, brains isn't messing around. I mean, what was the immediate change going back to that 06 era where you're like, oh man, this guy meets business? Like, how did it change so quickly?
1: Um yeah, I think the thing that accelerated it, a few factors in, in there. I think, you know, one of the things I wondered is like, how are these guys that that are on the team with Zaleski, how are they gonna mesh with Five guys coming in from Virginia Tech and new coaches, and I thought about like like a guy like Daniel Dennis. He's a starter under Zaleski, and he has a new you know new coaching staff come in, and they're bringing a guy at his weight class with him. How is that going to work? And I think one of the things that really bridged the gap is you had guys like Morningstar mm-hmm. in that program. Morningstar and Chad Beatty, who grew up and went to the same club growing up as, um, as Borschel, LeClaire and Slayton, they were friends growing up. So that, that was an instant bond that those guys had to integrate those guys into the team. And then I go back to, to Dennis. And one of the really cool things is him and Joe Slayton became like really tight friends. They battled for the position, uh, for a couple of years there and, and became super close friends out of it. And, and, uh, was that at twenty five or thirty three? Thirty three. Okay. And, so did Dennis go down
0: then, or did he wait until Slayton graduated the year he got second to Ness?
1: Uh, actually, Slayton was ineligible that year. Okay. That was whole saga in itself, where he was eligible by NCAA and Big Ten standards, if memory serves me correct, but not cleared by the University of Iowa to compete. And and uh, he beat Montel Marion in the Midlands that year, and Montel Marion made the NCAA finals at one forty one and. I was here Kyle Dake won it at 141. That's the one thing, like if you had a time machine that I'd like to go back and see how Joey Slayton, if he had been eligible, how he would have performed. Because he had he had uh, taken it to Reese Humphrey throughout the early parts of his college career. And and uh, obviously Humphrey made a lot of strides too. That's a cool story in itself. I, I I don't know of a whole lot of people that remember this, but Reese Humphrey and Daniel Dennis wrestled in the first round consolation match at Big Ten when they were true freshmen. <laughs> stay in the tournament and then they wrestled years later for a world team spot oh my lord that's crazy 500 i think you know that freshman year so
0: it just shows you how you know guys coming in now good high school kids if you don't all american as a freshman you're i feel like they throw you out you know but like back then it was it was okay for guys to come in and battle you know and and work their way up you know um and that's
1: crazy i think what was it? Uh, we had a, a true freshman national champ in in 93. Mm-hmm. and
0: then
1: The next true freshman national champ was 10 years later in Tianware. And then you look at this run that oh, wow. we've had recently, Spencer and Yanni, the first two freshmen to win in the same, first two true freshmen to win in the same year since like before 1950. And oh my before God. that, Miles Martin, Mark Hall, Jaden Cox, it was like we were having almost one per year there for a stretch. So, the one that I
0: remember was the year Dustin Slater won. That was like, holy cow, this kid just came through yeah. and smoked everybody.
1: Yeah. Undefe- at- but he lost one time and, and then just ran through the NCAA tournament and, and did it, you know, in super impressive fashion. I mean, you always wonder, like, at, at that point, like, how are freshmen going to perform on the mat? Like, are they going to be able to get out on the bottom? Are they going to be able to ride people? He dominated people on the mat. Oh.
0: At a big weight too. I mean, it was incredible. That was like the first time. I'm like, okay, like this is. And then now you look at like guys like Gable Steveson or obviously the great Spencer Lee or Yanni. It's just so fun right now. These guys are so good coming in. Um, yeah. man, I I kind of forgot about Slayton though. So did he get come back to the finals after that? or Was he pretty much done after
1: all of that? Uh, he did not wrestle his senior year. I mean, at least oh. in the lineup, at least he wrestled in some. I know he wrestled in Midlands and and was just kind of getting his feet under him at that point. And, but he was, he was a finalist as a sophomore, let his weight get out of control as a junior. I think he was wrestling 33 and gotten up to around like 178 pounds that summer. And that's what
0: I remember is how much he
1: cut. It was crazy. And he was a ton. A ton. And, and I remember they sent him out against uh, Fanthorpe in the Iowa state duel and came out and got the first takedown right away. And then then hit a wall oh, after man. that. But, uh, and Dennis was their guy at 33 from that point forward.
0: Still to this day, the most heartbreaking, Not it was actually heartbreaking for me, but I just felt so bad was that finals match uh, against, was it Ness?
1: Yeah, for Dennis, uh, yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dennis, like you said, was an Illinois guy. Never even won state, got second twice. And he was a teammate of Jimmy Kennedy, who at that time was a world beater and... You know, I don't even think Jimmy Kennedy ever made the NCAA finals. And so for Dan Dennis to do better was pretty shocking for everybody in Illinois. And then he had the match won. It was like, oh, that was tough.
1: I remember uh, his dad telling me at uh, the the social afterward. He said, you know, I was standing around with his dad and Gable was right there. And he goes, you guys never taught him to stall. And he meant that, you know, the kindest way, right? Like, Mm -hmm. not what you taught him to do. You didn't teach him to stall. Right, but uh, yeah, that one, that one uh, is one that that will be burned in my mind for a long time too. And and I remember, I, I I still have nightmares about it. Almost like where him coming off the mat. I was watching in the back tunnel because they had a they had McDonough had just won it. I'm in the back interviewing McDonough. And I come out and I'm watching the end of the match in the in the tunnel, and Dennis comes off sprinting right past me, and he threw his headgear. And it missed, I mean, it whizzed past my head, missed me by minimum of like, you know, no more than a foot. Yeah. And, and like you could hear that thing whistling through the air too. So,
0: yeah, that's but, that one hurt, man. That one, uh, that definitely hurt. The last uh, history lesson I wanted to ask you about how, whatever happened when Brands and Kale got together in dual meets? Was it pretty even? And was it electric back in those days or
1: how did it go? You know, uh, I don't think brands had ever lost a head to head until Kale got to Iowa state or got to Penn state. Um, really? It yeah. It might've been like his second or third, like I think it was his third year at Penn state when he, when they beat Iowa in a duel for the first time. But uh, uh, those dual meets were electric. I don't know if you remember the, the 2006, December 2006 duel when the first one with both guys in charge
0: Ooh.
1: and Right out of the gate, you have fireworks. It's Mark Perry and Travis Paulson in the first match. Perry takes a couple injury times, um, and it, you know Perry had to gut, gut it up, and he was hurt at that point in his career. He was, uh, and and he won two scrambles, one to force overtime, and then one to win an overtime. The coaches were out on the mat. Iowa State coaches were accusing Perry of taking phantom injury timeouts. Brands, I remember in the the. Post match, um, some comments about Perry taking Phantom injury timeouts. And Brands saying to Hartung, you know, we're still, Tim Hartung had been at Iowa the year before on Zaleski's staff and went to work for Kale. And I remember Brands saying, hey, we're still trying to work the kinks out of him, you know, that that basically the previous regime hadn't fixed. And, and uh, uh, wow. you know, I remember. <laughs> Uh, Kale saying, Hey, did you guys catch Gable flipping us the bird out on the mat? Gable said, He goes, I didn't flip him the bird, I flipped him the arm. And <laughs> the arm, and, and so he goes, What does flipping him the arm mean? It means, Come on, guys. Oh my God, that's classic yeah. right there. The, the mat, they're in the middle of the mat, all the coaches, and it's like, This, this is gonna be electric.
0: So, that and, picture of Gable on the mat, I thought for some reason in my mind, Kale was at it's funny how my history is so flawed. Um, you're, you're helping me here. I thought that was when Kale was at Penn state. So that picture of Gable on the mat with Kale is when he was at Iowa state. Yep. Got that, it. That I got to get that picture.
1: Yeah. That was the very first duel between those, between Tom and Kale as head coaches.
0: I can't even imagine the atmosphere in Car. was it at Carver? Bonkers. Yeah. Oh my God. I tell you what though, the best atmosphere I've ever been around in my life was Iowa Penn state this year. That was pretty good. Oh, my God. I mean, it was – especially when DeSanto got hurt and, and then Kemmerer came back. I mean,
1: whew, that was an incredible uh... – Like, when he got that takedown about 45 seconds to go and the last 45 seconds, it was the loudest sustained roar I've heard in that place ever. I mean, I, I think it's been louder in, in spurts. I mean, Ramos and some of the moments he had, the pins against Penn State. Oh, my God. It was deafening then, But but for – the final 45 seconds of a match like that, it was, it was ear splitting.
0: Just relentless. I mean, it was insane. I'm, I'm so excited even thinking about it, just how much fun that was. It was incredible.
1: Yeah. The best part about that is that dual meet was sold out a month in advance. I've never seen anything like that before.
0: Oh, my brother and I went to it. We scalped. No, we didn't scalp. I actually splurged on tickets, got pretty good seats. And then, right before my StubHub account went down and I had to scalp the tickets end up getting down there anyway but it was man that was such a fun dual meet I just think back to it's like how lucky were we to have dual meets back then you didn't think twice about it you know and like the week after that there was other great dual meets it was just such a I'm just so missing the season so much right now
1: I know Mm -hmm. you know hey it's awesome that we still have sports right now it's just not the same right without right the, the environment uh you know, 15,000 people in the stands in Carver Hawkeye Arena or, you know, 100,000 plus for college football. It's, you know, hopefully the fall of 2021, 20, right?
0: Seriously. Last question for you. Do you still think, and this is a total guess, but do you think the Olympic trials are still still a go? Yeah, I think so. Okay.
1: Hope so. Man,
0: yeah,
1: we I, can hope so. Certainly not going to bet on anything at this point. Because, <laughs> uh, man, well, I, hope so.
0: Andy, it's been fun going down memory lane with you, man. I have uh, something coming up at three, otherwise I, I could talk old old wrestling stories, especially Iowa stories with you forever, man. I grew up a, a diehard hawk fan. I've tried to get a little bit more neutral in my older age here, but though that, that era you're talking about is is uh, is great memories for me. So I really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Yeah. It's great to be on,
0: Ryan. That's it for this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. As always, thank you to our sponsor, Spartan Combat. They're hosting a national tournament in Jacksonville, Florida, May 20th through the 23rd. You can register now at SpartanCombat.com. To watch the video interview of this episode, go to Wrestling Changed My Life on YouTube. You can also see the clips on Instagram and Twitter at Wrestling Changed My Life. That's it, folks. We'll see you next time.